Today, I'm in conversation with PAVS from WWF South Africa. PAVS is an environmental behavior change practitioner at WWF SA. Another day here in the Branson Center of Entrepreneurship South Africa, and today I'm in conversation with PAVS from WWF South Africa. It's so lovely to have you join us in our conversation that's going to take us into many different aspects of food waste, food waste innovation, and also how we can look at our behavior in terms of solving for food waste in South Africa and in the world. So thank you for your time, Pavs. Hello. Hey, thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm very proud to be part of WWF, but also prouder that we're in partnership with Branson Center, because I think together we make magic, uh, you know, especially on a topic as serious as, as food loss and waste. You know. So I'm very glad to be here, and I'm, I'm actually happy for the privilege to chat to you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So, Pavs, before we get into the real, you know, nuts and bolts of this conversation, can you tell us a little bit more about WWF South Africa and also specifically about your role within the organization? Absolutely. So, you know, I get usually when I say WWF South Africa, I get anything from the Wrestling Federation to the Wildlife Foundation. So we're actually the worldwide fund for nature. And while we're part of the bigger WWF network, we're the South African arm based here in Cape Town. Our biggest office is here. And WWF South Africa has a much broader mandate than just, and I know mandate's a big word, but we operate in more than just wildlife. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we work from oceans all the way up to mountains. We look at feinbos, we look at specific grassland biomes, we look at human beings and their engagement with the natural environment. You know, you, you can't exactly separate us as a species out of the ecosystems in which we operate in. We look at urban cities, we look at climate, obviously a big, big conversation starter, food loss, food waste, sustainable diets, sustainable consumption. Most importantly, we try to understand human uh, food production uh, and that can be anything. It can be farming. It can be fishing. Uh, we understand things like extractive industries and the impact they're having on the planet. And then obviously we do look, and I have to be honest with you, we do save the rhino, <laughs> save the penguins, you know. So there is a wildlife component, but it's important to understand that it's within an ecosystem because you can't only focus on a species while everything around that species, which it predominantly depends on, is falling apart. Well, everything is connected. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And so what is your role within WWF South Africa, given that the remit is so huge? I mean, you've just explained and touched on basically every aspect of existence on the planet, <laughs> actually. Much, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's how you have to look at things as a system. And I always like to start off by saying that if you are to ever do anything in the realm of conservation, sustainable resources, how you manage the planet, how you exist, somebody's behavior has to change. Mm. And that is my job. So I am based in the business development unit, which I know is going to sound a bit strange, but I'm based in the business development unit because I cut across the different facets of WWF in my role as the behavior change practitioner and lead. And what I do is I look at a certain topic and I go, who are the actors in this in this space. And you must remember, you know, this can mean a consumer, it can mean a retailer, it can mean an industry, it can mean a policymaker. And what and how do we change behavior so that somebody, when they make any decision, is what we call a pro-environmental decision. Mm -hmm. So in other words, they are considering the environment in their decision-making process. And that is a tough job. I tell you, I, you know, my formative studying is a marine biologist, and the human being is the worst species I've ever worked with. 
<laughs> if that's anything, to, and the toughest species. Mm. But it's so important because of the role we play in that ecosystem. So I work in that area. I, I specifically function around sustainable diets, uh, particularly around seafood. So how do we get people to make smart choices around seafood? And I'm very, very fortunate to work in sustainable wine production, so Ooh. seafood and wine. That, that goes really well together. Exactly. That's a great pairing. <laughs> exactly. And then obviously in the food loss and waste system, and I also work in plastics, understanding, as you know, plastics are now a big hot topic. Um, you know, understanding plastics, plastics in our in our natural environments, plastics in our cities, the impacts on human health, etc. And then overall, I look at how do we change supply chains, and the only way you can adjust a supply chain is through through a very transformative systemic process. Mm-hmm. But nobody's going to do that if they haven't invested a behavior in it. Absolutely, and that's pretty much my role. Which is so exciting and so interesting because it's about people. Absolutely. Um, and I think that also ties in really nicely in terms of our work in the Branson Center where we talk about changing business for good in a way that's good for people, planet, and profit. And so having that intersectionality is really important for us. And so if I asked you really off the top of your head, what would you say is the purpose of WWF South Africa? Well, I think for us, you know, and I, and I think it's captured quite nicely, it's, to ensure that nature and humans thrive for now and for the future on this planet. Because there's no way you can se- separate the two. And that's what you you, you know you want. I, I love to live by the famous saying is that I don't work to create a better planet. I work to create better people mm. so that we don't have to necessarily work towards creating a better planet. It becomes intrinsic. And that's WWF's goal, to live in harmony with nature so that we both thrive for now and in the future. Amazing. And I think what I liked, uh, and I'm liking the language that you're using in terms of you spoke about pro-environment. We're talking about thriving um, because I think so many times when we're talking about issues around sustainability or issues around making sure that we're in harmony with, with nature and the planet, a lot of those conversations come from a place of shaming people into changing their behavior as opposed to getting to them to understand the interconnectedness of things. And so would you say that is actually what WWF South Africa is also trying to do to maybe bring in a system where we're changing behavior because we want to, not because we've been shamed into? Absolutely. I mean, I think fear and guilt have been two of the strongest powers that have been used in the area around conservation, you know, sustainable use. It's Those are behavior mechanisms that we know don't work. Mm. We've seen them, we've seen they actually create what we call, <laughs> they actually create constraint because you then feel so overwhelmed and you feel so undervalued because you've done something wrong mm. that you do not act on it. Mm. Now that is counterproductive to what WWF is trying to do, obviously. you know. So, you know, to your point, the first thing is creating those connections with the environment, you know, and, and I'd like to illustrate that by way of an example. We did a, a very quick in a test with kids where we asked them, what is your environment, you know? And as a marine biologist, I'd probably say the sea and the beach and, you know, things like And they said things like my, the mall, <laughs> my home, my school, you know, my, my religious affiliation, so my church. And nobody actually kind of went beyond that. And in Cape Town, you would think Table Mountain, Fainboss, you beach. know, beach, Cape Point, things like that. And immediately that's the first thing. You want to create, recreate those connections um, for people. So based on the back of that, the second thing is you want to give people a sense of self-efficacy. Mm. Because the last thing you do is create somebody going, well, this is too overwhelming. I can't affect this. 
I'm too small. Exactly. I'm not going to do anything. Business as usual. You want to give people that ability to say, whatever I do is going to have an impact and make a difference. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make a difference to the whole world. Absolutely. But it's going to make a difference to my environment and me. And I think that's what we're trying to to kind of, you know, move South Africans to as an organization. You know, And there's a, a Peruvian president who said something quite interesting. He said, conservation and sustainable development is a behavior challenge. Mm. And we need to find behaviorally informed solutions. Right. And I think that just captures what we're trying to do at WWF is actually, because if you move somebody, they will act on that. Absolutely. And they will be so powerful in, in their action. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, now I'm going to try to bring us into really the, the, the meat of this conversation. And that's probably a weird <laughs> word to bring in terms of our planet-based solutions and our planet-based choices, um, which is, we're specifically interested and curious about food waste and food loss. And as the Branson Center, we're particularly interested to figure out how can entrepreneurs play a role in solving for food waste and food loss in South Africa. And so I was completely astounded to find out that we're losing about a third of our food. Yeah. I think, and I stand to be corrected, and I'm hoping you'll you'll give me sort of those numbers. Um, and at the end of the day, this is something that can be prevented or at least we can start, you know, innovating around to try and, you know, reduce this food waste and food loss in South Africa. So can you perhaps give us a sense of the context when we talk about food waste and food loss in South Africa? What does that look like today in, here in this country? Absolutely. So I have to kind of caveat, it is, the numbers are scary, mm. um, you know, because we are a country that is in a transitional period. We're also a country that has around 30% households that go hungry. Mm. So I want to contextualize what mm. the numbers I'm about to tell you in that. So 1.3 million children don't have three meals a day mm. or go hungry. Okay, We have the highest rate of child stunting in the world. So this is not in Africa. The, it's in the world. It's across our entire planet. Our numbers are the highest. And child stunting is due to children not receiving enough nutritional food. Now, you think about they're going to be your future leaders. And stunting creates all kinds of problems neurologically, uh, mentally, physically, etc. We waste, <laughs> this is a scary amount of food, 10.5 million tons of food per year in South Africa. Now... That's if, outrageous. Yeah, now, so that's a little more than a third. So very often when I say numbers like that, kids kind of go, oh, I don't know what she's talking about. If you took the Cape Town Stadium or you took Moses Mabeda and we filled it with wheelie bins full of food, that is how, how much, much food in a year. So perhaps what you're telling me is that a World Cup-sized stadium filled to the brim with wheelie bins, each wheelie, wheelie bin filled with food, is the amount of food that is lost and wasted in a country that has 1.3 million children who go to bed without having had three meals a day. Exactly. But I think what you also need to hit on there is times six. Times six. So six World Cup stadiums. That is outrageous, heartbreaking, and probably overwhelming. So... What does that mean then even in terms of the economics of it? Because so that's almost the really emotive and really significant human impact. Sometimes people need to maybe understand the rands and cents or the dollars behind this. What is happening in terms of the economics of this? 
No, so that's even scarier because you know where our economy is sitting in this country. 60.1 billion South African rands lost per annum. Not million, billion. billion. That's almost 2.1% of our GDP. That is so scary. So yeah. what do we do with that? Because can you see, even me, I've now gone back to that space of saying, this is scary. I'm a bit overwhelmed. I don't want to engage with this, actually. So thanks, Pavs. I'm going home. <laughs> exactly. So let's bring it back. To anyone listening, what do we do with this? Well, the thing is, first of all, we have to identify there's a problem. South Africans don't seem to, it seems so far removed. If I said that to people, they kind of go, where? I don't see it. You know, I... What are you talking about? Where's all this waste happening? So the first thing is to actually identify where those waste hotspots are. And we have that data, which is great. Mm -hmm. So lots of nice work coming out of WWF, but also out of the CSIR in some of our universities, where they're actually quantifying it. Because that's the first kind of, you know, thing you'll get from any policymaker around, you know, legislative instruction to to food producers is, well, where's the waste? Mm -hmm. You know, it's also not very visual. So it's not like you and I can walk around and see food lying everywhere and then go, wow, look at all this food waste, you know. And that's the other thing. It's it's hidden from us, you know. And, and if you, you know, if out of sight, out of mind, right. you know. So so that's the first two points I definitely like for us to chat about is where in that supply chain is this waste coming from? And then there are lots of things we can do. And that's the best part, you know. Food waste and loss is a fixable problem. Oh. Thank goodness, I'm relieved. <laughs> you know, and, and people need to know this mm. because it takes all of us acting on very small levels. I'm not asking you to now go out and change your lifestyle and, you know, completely relook at how you function, but to change small, doable, scalable things from a consumer all the way to a farmer. So I can tell you, I'm also borderline on the edge of my seat, and I'm hoping whoever's listening is also on the edge of their seats. Before we even start talking supply chains, government policy, big things, what are these small things that we can do right now? Absolutely. So the first thing, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, in terms of our listeners, I'm going to start at the consumer and work my yes. way up. So the first thing is you and I would do is plan your meals. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, you know. Do not buy those two for one if you're not going to use it. You know, we often go into retail store and you see a punnet of mushrooms and it says, if you buy two of these, you save 50 rand. First of all, ask yourself, am I going to use two of these? And I can bet your bottom dollar, you're not. You know, if you have a system in place where you kind of give it to a neighbor, a friend, or you share it, and you know with confidence that they're not going to waste it, then I'm, I'm happy, you know. So don't buy in bulk. Don't buy a month's worth of shopping in one day mm. because your month changes. It becomes variable. Friends call you to go out for dinner. You decide you're not hungry and you just want to have toast. But now you've got a fridge stacked with food. Come the end of that month, what do you do? Throw it out. You throw it out. So plan your meals, plan your shopping. Please do not impulse buy. And don't <laughs> shop when you're hungry. Exactly. <laughs> don't shop when you or don't shop when you're too full. Because then you buy too little as well. So, you know, put yourself into a routine. So easy things like that. The most basic things is free stuff. Guys, most of us, if not all of us, have access to a freezer. You know, we don't have to salt it in the old days like the yes. sailors and hang it up to dry. Hang it to dry. You know, free stuff, you know. Be smart about your leftovers. I have a friend who kind of says, oh, he doesn't do leftovers. Okay. And I said to him, well, let me give you a stat. 
for half a hamburger, okay, that's a 60-minute minute shower worth of water mm. you've thrown away. One liter of milk is 22 dishwashing cycles. Imagine. So all of a sudden, you now can understand that when I throw that piece of hamburger away, you need to understand the repercussion that everything on your plate has an environmental footprint. Mm. You know, people don't see that with food. And this was when you know, I spoke earlier about connecting the dots. You, when I, if I had to say to you, Nabisa, what's your, what's your footprint? What do you respond to? I would to say me? it's very light. I don't have a car. I live alone. I recycle. Exactly. Meanwhile, I quite like clothes. Yeah, I like <laughs> clothes, but, you know, I don't see the connection there. But my footprint is around my carbon. Mm. It's around, you know, I'm, I'm good about walking places. I'm good about giving a reusable water bottle. Yeah, but nobody says my footprint is massive because I waste my food or I don't, you know, I'm not good about how I package. I'm not good about freezing. I'm, I throw, you know, very often people take a, a pillow pack of veggies and you'll see a bit of white. And they throw the whole thing away, as opposed to opening it, removing what looks a bit soft, washing what is available and using what's in there. Mm. So, you know, those kind of easy things to do. The other thing, and this is, you know, share. <laughs> you got a packet of something in your, you know, you're not going to get to it. You know, offer it to a neighbor, share it, cook and freeze. Mm. You know, if you know you're not going to eat it, do something with it. Bring back those grandmother, great-grandmother habits, yes. you know. I mean, they pickled things, they stored things because they didn't have, you know. I always tell a lot of people that I talk to, more is not better. More is just more. More is more. And and I think even this idea of um, talking about changing our behaviors, we actually know this. Yeah. We actually already have some of these practices in us. This is, you know, wisdom that's been passed on through the generations in terms of you cook a, a large meal, some of it gets frozen, some gets taken over to the neighbor, um, you know how to pickle, you, you know, all you blanch and freeze and that kind exactly. of thing. We know this, but somehow somewhere along the line, we've, we're waiting almost for this big technological advancement that's then going to give us a new way of doing things. And so maybe part of your job, I'm going to ask the question, or maybe I'm sensing that, is reminding us that it's in our hands Absolutely. and we, we know what to do. Yeah, and, and you know, that's, that's exactly, that's moving away from that convenience factor. Because people say, oh, well, freezing is inconvenient. I don't have time. I've got to worry about this and that, you know. But my, my initial thing is do this exercise just for a week. Calculate how much money you've lost by what you've thrown away. And then the time no longer <laughs> becomes a factor, you know, because all of a sudden it's like, oh, shucks, I've thrown away 500 rand this week. Or I've thrown away 300 rand. And in the kind of times we are where we've had disruptions like COVID, where we're going to have more disruptions around climate, you know, these are the kind of triggers that will change your behavior. Mm. I mean, if you have to weigh up wasting 300 rand a week versus paying your child's school fees. Well, you're going to start thinking differently very about differently, that you know, so, Exactly. So those are the kind of things. They're easy, you know. Invest in good storage. You know, Tupperwares that close, that are airtight, so that food doesn't spoil. And my, my, my bug base, read labels. Mm. Yeah, you know, read labels. Sell by and use by. South Africans don't know what those labels mean. Sell by is not for consumers. 
Mm. You shouldn't even be looking at it. Sell by is for the retailer. It's to tell them that based on what stock you have, these products need to be sold or shifted off the shelf by the state. So it's not an indicator of oh, freshness God. or quality Nothing. of the Nothing. food. It's it's actually a logistics issue. Pretty much. It's it's a stock issue. Yeah, yeah. mind blowing. And then the use by. <laughs> We've been taught that if used by on midnight of that time, this oh, thing is fraught. It's gone exactly. at, at the strike of midnight. They're not even close. All it's tell, it tells you is that at this date, it is not optimal in its freshness. I mean, like, but it's still edible. It's not going to make you sick. It's not going to, no. you're not going to not go to work tomorrow because now you've got a stomach ache. It's oh, fine. It's not poisonous. Not at all. You know, and it probably has another week's life in it. And you know, there's something I always tell people. You know, go back to using your senses. This behavior change. You know, mm. smell it, sniff it, even if you have to lick it. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back to what we actually did as instinct when we were children. Every child okay. picks something up. First thing they do is usually try smell it, and then it goes into their mouths, and then they spit it out exactly. if it's not nice, or they swallow it and exactly. they continue. You use your senses, use your hands. You know, figure whether something is actually really bad or, or spoiled, or or if it's not. And and those are the like simple things. Buy seasonally. You should not. Be able to go into a store and buy strawberries from January to December. Yes, okay. should not be having avocados in December. Perfect. Yes, first of all, it's. I mean, we haven't even touched on the environmental impacts of food waste. You know, it has massive environmental footprints. Okay. Second of all, you no longer have a genuine, real appreciation. Mm. For that avo or that strawberry. Why? Because you know you can get it all the time. Well, worst of all, it tastes terrible when it's out of season. Let's be honest, right? And and also, you then become in that convenient frame of mind, it'll always be available. I mean, I remember as a kid, and I mean, this is dating me seriously. I remember as a kid that around Diwali time, which is usually October, November, was when cherries would come into season. And it would be such a treat to be able to get cherries that time of year because it was in my brain associated with the festival it was fun it was you know it was something we looked forward to must have been waiting for it pretty much and you you savored it you tried to eat every single chair you cut out the little fraught pieces because you know this is all you got now you can get about frozen cherries bottled cherries throughout the year you know sometimes you can even get re-ripened fresh cherries sitting on a shelf Mm. eat seasonal and eat local you don't have to eat exotic things. Which I love how this is so practical in terms of plan your meals, plan your shopping, eat seasonally, eat locally. Um, and already I'm like, that's an incredibly easy cheat sheet for anyone to Absolutely. sit with. And so that's a really great thing to remember. I'm going to move us into where is food waste and food loss happening in terms of at an industrial, almost systemic place, so that we just are also aware of that. So whilst I'm doing what I'm doing in my everyday individual life, what's happening at industry level? Absolutely, and that's that's the so consumers in South Africa waste around eight percent. Okay, that's your contribution to food, that big number, mm. that millions of tons I mentioned earlier. Um, and and you know what's scary is that we were at five two years ago, we're now at eight. And City of Joburg did an interesting study. They kind of calculated it to per person. So it's 12 kilograms per person per year in Gauteng. Wow. Cape Town, we haven't yet got the numbers. Ekulungleni is sitting around 
eight kilograms, okay? If we move up that supply chain, that's where numbers start getting really, really scary. And in South Africa, our biggest food loss and waste is what we call post-harvest. Okay. So just what after it's been harvested from the farm. So post-harvest processing and packaging. That's where we have the biggest, and there we're talking about 45%. Wow. Okay. Now, when I talk about percentage, I'm not talking about of the food we've lost. I'm talking about 45% of what we've produced. 45% of what has been produced gets wasted. Correct. And lost. Correct. Okay. So so think about back to what, what you know, we spoke about earlier about how many households are food insecure, mm. how many children go hungry. Now we produce 100% and of that, 45% we throw away. So it becomes, for me, it actually almost becomes a moral issue. It almost starts being a human rights issue. Very much so. You know, and, and there are various reasons why we waste. And and it's scary because, you know, like you say, innovation can, it, it's not innovation that's way out of our realm of thinking. It's not let's, you know, let's Elon Musk this thing to mm. death. It's not. It's very simple innovation and daily practice. So we lose a lot at farms because of, and you're going to love this, because of spillage. Okay. Incorrect storage, weather, so hailstorms, et cetera, drought, um, Cold chain, so basically improper transport, mm. improper storaging, and then moving it in a, fro a truck that is cold enough to sort. And the, my worst is the fact that it doesn't meet market grading. Now that are you, oh, is that now because it's not pretty enough? Pretty much, yes. Right. So okay. my banana isn't this long and this yellow and this length. So you know it won't be sold at retail. So and we're just going to throw it away. We're just going to throw it away. You know, and, and you, you'll see skips of bananas, um, you know, that, that don't meet market grading. And then when you move away from the farmer and you start moving into the retailer, we see waste there as well. Mm. You know, I, I love this question. I, I've asked this question several times is, have you ever seen a pre-made sandwich in any of the retailers where they use the crust, the back, the end oh, of the bread? Oh, no, the, the, the bookends of the bread. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where does it go? Where is it? And we don't go? ask these questions. I don't mind eating a bookend of, yeah. of, a, of yeah. a loaf of bread. I do it at home if I buy the whole loaf. you know. But if I bought a sandwich, uh, where does it go? Mm. Why do I have to cut the inside of my cucumber out mm. if I purchase a pre-made salad? Yeah, it's so scary because it's also it's this idea of behavior change, which is how do we get to a point where we start connecting the dots? And that's almost like how long is a piece of string tap question. And so before we get ourselves a bit overwhelmed, I am going to try and move the conversation in terms of what are we starting to get right at least, perhaps? Please tell me there's something in this country <laughs> or even in the world that we're starting to get right when we start talking about food waste and food loss. No. So I'm glad you're going there because I didn't want to give people the sense of hopelessness mm. because, you know, it's it's doom and gloom is not going to get people mm. to change behavior or even think about this conversation. The important thing is to note that there are amazing elements of hope and innovation. You know, and, and that's the great stuff. And in South Africa, particularly, what we're looking at is working with farmers. Mm -hmm. Working at farmers, looking at infrastructure needs, understanding how to become climate smart farming. You know, Amazing. agriculture has the biggest footprint mm. than anything else, than any other human activity. Hey? So, yeah, you drive your car on that, but agriculture is a massive footprint. How do we reduce that footprint? 
Okay. What do we do with surplus? You know, how do we change inventories so that you don't produce surplus? You know, and if you have to produce surplus, how do we divert it to places where they can then use that for feeding schemes, for school feeding schemes, for housing schemes? You know, it's amazing. Places like Second Harvest and Food Forward, etc., they exist. You know, WWF did a, a groundbreaking study in 2018 where we actually built the business case mm. for companies to say, this is how much money you can save right. <laughs> by actually diverting your food surplus and what we would call waste to these kind of schemes, you know, where they can then get the goods, repurpose it, repackage it, make make it available to homeless shelters, orphanages, other types of NGOs that need food, uh, schools that need food, community centers, you know, where we can address that, that food yeah. inequality. You know, Nobisa, what's frightening is that as South Africa, we produce enough food to feed every single citizen and yet in our country. And 1.3 million children don't have three meals a day. And that's the inequality in the system. Right. And, and yet in that inequality exists an opportunity. Absolutely. And so... That is probably where it gets juicy and almost exciting if we're even allowed to be exciting in this conversation. I think we are allowed yes, to get excited. Yes, no, absolutely. And so are you picking up on any trends in terms of the opportunities that exist in this in this space when it comes to food waste and food, yeah. now, food loss? First of all, there's there's a slowly there's a slow growing increase in awareness, mm. which for me is a big deal because you know, South Africa, like I said, it's food loss and waste is a hidden it's a hidden issue because we don't see it. And very often you throw it in your dustbin, you don't see it further than that, okay? So now we're seeing this increase in awareness, and it's across the supply chain. It's not just in consumers. Retailers are understanding the economics behind their food loss and their waste and what that means for their business, but also what it means for the longevity thereof. You know, if you keep wasting and farmers keep wasting, we're going to run out. Now, you know, because what people don't understand is we can produce really unnutritional, nutritious food. Yes, the lettuce can be beautiful and green, but it gives you no value. Mm. You're still producing it, but of you know who's going to gain anything from it? So what what they're realizing is that there's this this that it makes sustainability, good resource use, makes good business sense, and that makes us so happy to understand. And so, Pavs, as we start wrapping up, because I think we could talk forever a lot, <laughs> and this because there's so much to this. What is the one thing that you want? anyone listening to remember when it comes to food waste and food loss in South Africa? So first of all, remember that what's on your plate has an environmental footprint. You know, whatever was on your plate had to be, had to use water, energy, nutrients in the soil, somebody's labor. Mm -hmm. And when you toss that, you're throwing all of that away. You're not just throwing this plate of food. Secondly, that there are people that are starving and that you by changing small bits in your lifestyle, you know, and making them and shifting them from, oh, it's nice to do, to actually become habit forming, you know, and, and we spoke about it, you know, plan your meals, plan your shopping, don't impulse buy, read your labels, uh, you know, think about how to be creative with your food, think about leftovers, go back to those homely habits of sharing you know, of, of distribution, you know, things like don't leave that in the realm of the retailer. Don't 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 give away your power. Right. <laughs> you know, don't do that. Be very active in what you do when you make decisions around what food is kept and what food is lost. Because, you know, I, I love the saying, 
um, that said, it's only one straw. And the bottom in the fine print, it says, said 8 million people. Absolutely. And I think for me, that is exactly where we end this conversation, which is that if each of us start making individual decisions, then all of us are actually making the same decision. And so thank you so much, Pubs, for your time and for sharing so much with us and giving us a little bit of insights in terms of the wonderful work that WWF South Africa is doing. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I mean, you know, I, I love talking to you. So thank you for allowing us to have this conversation. I think it's an important one.